And a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Over the last two millennia, our understanding of Jesus has been inevitably shaped by uh, different cultural influences, certainly by the cultural influences under which we've lived, uh, many of those stemming from Western European origin. But it's always important to remember that Christ did not grow up uh, in uh, modern Europe. He was a Jewish man living in uh, a Jewish land, observing ancient Jewish customs, speaking to Jewish people. And uh, this has been a a truth that's actually been recovered, at least in the academic world, uh, over the so-called quest for the historical Jesus over the last century and a half. Uh, But it hasn't necessarily filtered down into the pews yet. Well, a man that's trying to change that is my guest. Uh, He is uh, Robbie uh, Galati. He is um, a senior pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church in Tennessee, and he's author of The Forgotten Jesus, How Western Christians Should Follow an Eastern Rabbi. And uh, Robbie, good to have you with me. Thanks. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me. Let's let's, uh, take a look at this, because it it is funny when you think about it that uh, sometimes people are surprised when they think concretely of the fact that Jesus was Jewish. I mean, he. <laughs> I it, know. It, it's, it is. It is funny. What has kept us from making that just common knowledge? Yeah, you know, this is a great question because I think for for a lot of us who were brought up uh, just in church and reading the Bible casually through our life. Uh, we can allow not the Bible to influence our perspective of Jesus, but the culture of, of our day. And right. I realize some of that stems all the way back to the 4th century. Uh, so uh, I think it's, it's a couple things. So let me just answer the question in a couple parts. Number one, I think when the, the Bible was referred to as the Old Testament, uh, it's a subtle thing, but if you think about it, Melito of Sardis was the first guy to do mm-hmm. this in the, in the 4th century, but just a subtle thing. I mean, think about our culture today. We don't like anything old. Right, Al? I mean, right, we want the right. new iPhone, we want the new iPad, we want the new computer. Yeah. We don't want the iPhone 4, the iPhone 3 from years ago. And so a lot of people will just generally migrate to the New Testament, even right. when people start following the Lord. Right. We say, hey, start in the New Testament, right? Yep. Start with John, start with Matthew. Well, that's good, but we'd never do that with a book. I mean, right. nobody's going to pick up a book and three-fourths of the way in, begin you know, reading the end of the book, and somebody's going to say, hey, you missed the whole first half. Right. So the premise of the book is, and I've really tried to do this, just get people in the Word until the Word gets into them. And I tell them, you cannot truly appreciate the New Testament until we fully understand the Old Testament. Yeah, absolutely. And so yeah. what I try to do here is just make these wonderful connections between the Old and the New to show that Jesus was not disconnected from his time. He, he's not a blonde-haired, blue-eyed mm-hmm. surfer guy from California, as we see sometimes <laughs> in the movies. Right. He is a dark-skinned Middle Eastern rabbi who was reared by Jewish parents. He was raised in a Jewish culture. He called predominantly Jewish followers, and he followed the Jewish uh, law of his day. And so when we truly put Jesus back into his context... I think it really brings him to life, and it deepens our relationship with him. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I just came across a book the other day, uh, lamenting. And the book's actually titled, I think, The Old Testament is Dying. And it's a, a Christian author lamenting the fact that uh, we continue 
uh, in spite of the fact that we have so much access to information these days, there's still this tendency to do what you said. Uh, people jump to the new, and they kind of ignore the old as not really essential, you know? But yeah, the, and you know, <clears throat> it, it, I would say it's even it's even beyond that, too. So let me give you an example, and, yeah. and I've really kind of searched this out. It really brings what I'm saying to life. Even the way we think as Western Americans we are predisposed to think a certain way. So we look at things through a certain lens. For example, in the Western culture of America, we think, uh, and we're, we're influenced by Hellenism of the Greeks and Romanism uh, right. of the Romans, we think in bullet points and facts. So when we describe something, we, we, we will give a list of facts. When you explain something, we give a PowerPoint presentation or a manual. If you go to the Eastern culture, they think very differently. They don't think in facts and bullet points and outlines. They think in pictures. Yeah. And so let, yeah. let me give you an example. If I would go to an American church today and I would say, hey, you, you give me one-word answers to describe this question or to answer this question, and, and the question is, who is God? Uh, American Christians would say God is blank, right? God is holy. Mm-hmm. God is righteous. Mm-hmm. God is perfect. Now, if we want to impress our friends, we'll say God is omnipotent or <laughs> omnipresent right. or uh, you know, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, always there. Uh, but that's a very Western way to do it. And here's what I mean. The, the Jewish language, the Hebrew language, is emotive. It, it emits these emotions and passion for the Word of God. And if you close your eyes for just a moment, those listening, and I say those words to you, if you're like me, when I hear holy or righteous or perfect or omnipotent or omnipresent uh, or omniscient, what I see in my mind, Al, are, are the words. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I picture, the very that's, words. That's right. If yeah. I go to a Jewish yeshiva, which is a Jewish school or a synagogue, I mean, a Jewish seminary be the equivalent of in America, mm-hmm. and I ask the students the very same question, who is God? Here's what they'll tell you. They'll say, God is a rock. (laughs) God is running water. God is an eagle's wing. God is fresh-baked bread. (laughs) Now, if you close your eyes, watch this, and I say those words, water, uh, rock, fresh-baked bread, you can almost, if you linger long enough, smell the bread baking, right? Right. I mean, you can picture it. Now, here's what I tell people. Who spoke that way? Jesus did. I mean, all the time. Jesus, they, they said, describe to us the kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom is like a man who sold a field and bought a pearl. The kingdom is like a door. The, 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 the kingdom of heaven is like a shepherd or, or, or a sheepfold. Yep. And so we have these wonderful, vivid images that come to mind when we, when we know that. Yeah, and it, 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 there's a texture to it. I mean, you can feel it uh, yes. with these images. Yeah, they're not abstractions. Uh, now this and this is uh this is the way uh that that was the primary mode of communication was this kind of concreteness and the use of um uh these vivid images to talk about god i sometimes I think that we're almost afraid to do that um we we kind of feel safer when we use these abstractions um we're afraid of saying uh, God is rock, uh, God is fresh-baked bread, uh, because we think it's limiting him in some way. You know what I'm saying? It's not stretchable yeah. enough. 
I like that, yeah. yeah. And, you know, another thing, too, the rabbis, uh, Jewish rabbis uh, of the first century and beyond would would sit around, and Jesus would, would have been in, in that culture. They didn't want to just know what God was like, you know, theologically explain yes. God, bullet points, uh, textual theological books. They wanted to know, get this, what did God do? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. they, they would look through the Old Testament, and they would find how God acted among the people. And they said, God is an artist, in a sense. He's a creator. He yeah. created the world. He, cre- he, he, he hand-painted this landscape, landscape of creation. I mean, God did this. God's mm-hmm. a creator. He's mm-hmm. an artist. Uh, God's also uh, a provider. He provided for Abraham. He took care of the sick, and he provided for people. God's also uh, a, a director and a leader, a, a guide, if you will. He guided the people out of the bondage of Egypt into the promised land. And here's what they would do as a result of that. If God's a creator, if God's an artist, if God's a, uh, a leader, a guider, if God's a, a provider for the sick and a carer for the needs of people, then we also should do that. Right. And so they studied how God acted so that in turn they could respond the same way. And I think that's how Paul in the New Testament could say, yep. follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. Right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so, and even Ephesians more, 5.1, imitate God. Exactly. It's way more than just <laughs> right. theological information yeah. or intellectual assent of passing a test or checking the boxes. It was, hey, how do we live this life today? Yeah. How do we engage in this life today? Which is why in the book I make this case... And I've really been fascinated by this concept of the kingdom of heaven. You know, we always think, and you know, in American Christians, we always hear the phrase kingdom of heaven. And I just poll the audience listening. If I mention the phrase kingdom of heaven, do you think of a present reality today, or does your brain jog to a future place we enter into after mm-hmm. death? And normally, you know, most people yeah. I ask, they'll say, that's some place we go to yeah. after death. I agree. I think that's what the concept is for most people. It, I think that's what For doing. most people. Now, yeah. think about this. If you study the Gospels in the life of Jesus, you'll realize that 90% of the time, Jesus is talking about a present power, a present reality in their life today. I mean, think about it. When he would come upon people, he'd say, the kingdom of heaven is near. Yeah. When he would heal somebody, he'd say, the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. Even the Beatitudes, uh, the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemaker. He's talking about a present reality. You will inherit the kingdom of heaven today. That changes everything. Yes, Here, here's why. Because if you move your focus from locational, uh, the, you know, I'm going to heaven at the end, to more of an uh, incarnational approach, to, or meaning Christ among us, Christ around us today, it changes everything. Why? Because we don't put our Christian life on hold and wait for our name to be called up yonder one day in the spiritual abyss. No, we have this amazing opportunity every day as believers of Jesus to partner with him in ministry to bring heaven to earth. In a sense, everywhere yep. we go, because we're filled with the Spirit, we bring heaven to earth. And that's such an amazing concept to me. It is. Uh, it, is it is such... Uh, uh, it's incredibly motivating. It's adventurous. Uh, it keeps you expectant of how God will be operating and acting in one's life. Uh, now, you spend a good deal of time in the book, again, t- t- showing, for instance, how the Old Testament prepares the way for Messiah, uncovering Christ in the Old Testament, uh, connect, continuing to connect the new to the old. And I want to come back uh, after the break and uh, spend some time doing that, because I think 
uh, strengthening those bonds uh, between the covenants is, is vital uh, for uh, for me and my, my at least in my experience it's vital for uh, to maintain an enthusiastic and uh, faithful uh, Christian life. So we'll be back on the other side of the break. Uh, my guest, uh, Robbie Galati, is the author of The Forgotten Jesus, How Western Christians Should Follow an Eastern Rabbi. It is a very rich and uh, helpful book. Back in just a minute, I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is uh, Pastor Robbie Galati. He has uh, got his doctorate at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Um, he was radically—we didn't, didn't mention this earlier, but he was radically saved out of a life of drug addiction uh, back in November of 2002. And in 2008, he founded Replicate Ministries— uh, to educate, equip, and empower believers uh, to make disciples who make disciples. And uh, he is author of Rediscovering Discipleship, uh, Growing Up Firmly Planted and Bearing Fruit. He is, today we're focusing on his book, The Forgotten Jesus, How Western Christians Should Follow an Eastern Rabbi. Robbie, take us to the uh, the Old Testament here, and sh- where do you begin uncovering Christ in the Old Testament? Conceptually, yeah, where do you so, begin? Yeah, so I would say we, we see this picture as far back as with Abraham. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, well, you can even go back as far as Adam, with Adam being the uh, picture of uh, all of mankind. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Adam falling because of sin. Adam couldn't do what Christ, as Romans 5 says, is able to do. Uh, Christ is victorious. Adam fell. Mm-hmm. We see that connection even in the temptations of Jesus, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, the same three temptations, which is pretty interesting. In Genesis chapter uh, 3, when you see these connections of the temptations, uh, the lust of the, eye, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life with Eve. Remember, she yeah. saw that the fruit uh, yeah. was good. She delighted with her eyes, and then she ate it. And so you see those three temptations. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because the enemy, he, he doesn't do new tricks. He just repackages old <laughs> tricks. Yeah. So I, I tell people it's the same thing. And if you go to Matthew 4... When Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness after fasting and uh, spending 40 days on the mountain, it's interesting, the, the enemy attacks him with the same three things. The lust of the flesh, turn these stones into bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lust of the eyes, I'll give you this whole empire. The pride of life, I'll make you in charge of the world. I mean, it's the same three attacks. Now, the difference, I tell people, is that Adam and Eve question the Word of God. They said... Did God really say this? Right, right. But what Jesus did in the New Testament is he quoted the Word of God. Yeah. He responded, uh, you shall not test the Lord your God. Uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. And so that's why I challenge people. It's more than just knowing the Word. Yeah. It's getting in the Word until the Word gets into you. And so Scripture memory is so important. Uh, Another picture is with Abraham. When Abraham goes up to the mountain with Isaac, if you go back and read Genesis 22, Isaac, it says, is Abraham's one and only son. Mm-hmm. When Jesus is in the New Testament, John 3.16, we know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his 
one and only son. Yeah. So you see mm-hmm. those wonderful connections. When they go to the place of sacrifice, something you may have missed is, and, and, and some people will tell me, I never saw this before, Abraham cuts the wood, and he gives it to his son, and who carries the wood from the place of cutting to the place of sacrifice? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Isaac. Yeah, the son. Yeah. Even the rabbi said it's a picture of a man carrying wood to his place of execution or his place of sacrifice. So even they saw the connection yeah. between the coming Messiah when Jesus would come, obviously, and carry his wooden cross to his place of sacrifice. I mean, even with Joseph, there's so many similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Uh, Joseph was sold out by his own brothers. Jesus is sold out by his own friends. I mean, jo- Joseph sold for 20 pieces of silver which was a slave price. Jesus is sold out by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, which is a slave price. They both have coats that are put on them prior to their persecution. Uh, Joseph has the multicolored coat. Jesus has the purple robe that he's wearing. Uh, Even Moses. I mean, there's so many shadows and pictures of Moses. Moses as a child uh, goes into Egypt. Jesus as a child goes into Egypt. Moses is called a shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. Uh, Moses is going to lead the people out of the bondage of Egypt from the Pharaoh and and, and the bondage of them. Jesus is going to lead people out of the bondage of sin. Moses fasted 40 days. Jesus fasted 40 days. I think the greatest one is this. Moses' first miracle is turning the water into blood. (laughs) Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a blood-like yeah, yeah. And, and I'm trying, and, and people say, well, what is the whole point of all this? The point is, when people start to see with a different perspective, when you start to look at the New Testament in light of the Old Testament, connecting the two, I tell people what happens is it brings the Bible to life, and it moves it from this black and white picture that you've always had into a 4K high-definition yeah. picture. It's the same image you know, when you see uh, Gone with the Wind in the old uh, way, black and white, and you see it digitally remastered, it's mm-hmm. the same movie. Right. But, boy, it just affects you differently. Yeah. It, it, it has this emotive feeling when you watch it. Yeah. You know, w- when you um, uh, encountered Christ uh, back in uh, was it 2002, was this—what what hit you? Um, when did you first be- sense yourself becoming alive to him? Yeah, my story, I mean, it's, it, it's a long story, but uh, I was actually in a bad car accident in 1999, got rear-ended by an 18-wheeler. Mm-hmm. I was raised in church, uh, went okay. to church just about every so week. So you had some background, uh, you had some background. Yeah, I went yeah. to church every week. My family, very religious, went to church. and But, I, but see, the thing is, I knew who Jesus was. Um, but I didn't know him personally. I didn't have yeah. an intimate relationship. Well, a lot of people say that. Hey, I grew up, I knew knew who he was, but I didn't have a personal right. relationship. I didn't walk with him, didn't hear from him. Right. Uh, I had to go through a, a series of events. Car accident in 1999. Uh, went to the doctor's out. They sent me home with four things. Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet. <laughs> yeah. oh, I mean, within, th- within three months, you know the story. Yeah, right. I am addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. Wow. And uh, I have this insatiable desire to get high. I don't want to make money, don't want to be successful. And uh, I have to find a way to fuel my habit. I start an illegal import business where I'm trafficking everything from wow. heroin, cocaine, GHB, Special K, marijuana, and uh, just a lot of things that the world had to offer. I had tons of money at the time. But even back then, 
at the height of this drug addiction, I still knew there had to be more to life than mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And uh, times were good in the beginning. I lost everything I owned from drug addiction. Uh, my, my addiction was overwhelming. Robbed my own family for $15,000 over the course of three months. Parents kicked me out the uh, house or out the family at the time. I was living on my own. And never forget the day my mom got the phone call. It was 2001 of February. She said, Robbie, we found out about what you did. Your father's furious, and I'm disappointed. Don't ever come to this house again. And I said, you know what, Mom? I don't need you guys. Never did. I don't need you in the future. And I hung the phone up, and for the next three months, it was hell on earth. I I lived without gas, electricity, and water for almost three months. The bill collectors called till the phone was turned off. And here's what I'll tell people who are listening. Because a lot of us have people in our lives or children or family members who are being ravaged by drugs. It's right. a national epidemic. It the is. president just came on and says a national epidemic. So uh, I'm just thankful for the attention it's getting. But here's what I tell people. If there's a perpetual drug problem in a person's life, any kind of drug, alcohol, drugs, addiction, it's always because of someone who's an enabler. Hmm. Someone is intervening some form or fashion. And here's my counsel to those who are listening. If you continue trying to be their savior... Jesus never can be. Yeah. yeah. See, see, you'll never turn to Christ if someone always intervenes. And so my parents kicked me out. It was the hardest thing they did. Tough love they, they exercised in my life. And it was through that, after the second rehab treatment, Al, that I came to Christ. I realized, you know what? I tried everything else. Why not try? I mean, this is what I thought of my immature mind. Why don't I try Christ? What, what do I have to lose? And I got real with the Lord, and I said, Jesus, this is not a fad or not reaching out to you to get something. I just want you and you alone. You're going to be my treasure. You're going to be my joy. It wasn't, I'm going to serve you, Jesus, if you do this. I think a lot of people look at Jesus like a utilitarian genie, right? If I yeah. rub the lamp the right way, and if I do enough good things, you bless me. No, it was none of that. It was, Jesus, I love you, and I want you. You are my treasure. Not yeah. Jesus plus, just Jesus. Yeah. And, yeah. man, I'm going to tell you, that was the transformative moment of my life. And Beautiful. ever since then, it's just been an amazing journey serving the Lord. Did you have, uh, did, you, did your hunger for Scripture start right at the beginning there, or was that something you grew into? Great question, yeah. So here's what happened to me. I, I wandered for the next eight months, like many people do. I didn't know how to read the Bible. <laughs> I didn't know how right. to pray. I mean, that's what most people do, right? You right. start going to church. I mean, I'm hearing, I'm hearing messages. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the Bible read. I'm reading the Bible, but I don't know what to do. Right. And I had two men come into my life, a guy named David Platt and a guy named Tim LaFleur, and these two men basically disciple me. Beautiful. I mean, it's a biblical principle. I mean, think about it. In the Bible, here's what's fascinating. The word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of those times are kind of a derogatory term, uh, derogatory manner. They were kind of making fun of them. But guess how many times the word disciple is used, which is a learner or a student? Right. 269 times. Yeah. 238 times in the Gospels. And so it's a practice that was popular in the first century, mm-hmm. but we've kind of gotten away from it today. And so right. I've had, I had these men just really disciple me. And both of them love the Word of God. And so what they emulated before me, Al, they began to expect from me. And that's how I developed this passion and hunger for the Word. Yeah. You know, that is so important. And it's, it's the, in many cases, it's the missing piece 
uh, in local churches, and it's a missing piece in denominational framework as well, that whole issue of disciple-making and discipleship and the, the, the personal... Uh, if, if My guess is that if you were to line up uh, self con- self-professing Christians... Uh, that you probably wouldn't find more than six, seven, eight percent of them who would be able to say that they understand themselves as disciples of Jesus, learners, students. You know, I, and it's a it's a real problem. Uh, I mean, there are it, there are particular congregations which have a higher concentration because of the leadership of the pastor. But I think if you kind of lined it up you know, uh, nationally, I, I think it'd be a small percentage of those who claim to be Christian. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. I mean, that that really, I think, is the tragedy of the, of America is the amount, the vast amount of undiscipled disciples yep. Yep. who migrate and uh, take up real estate in the pews <laughs> all over the country. But yeah. more than that, here, here's what I tell people: what's even more tragic is the amount of literate people literate disciples who are illiterate of the Bible. Right. I mean, we have access to the Bible more than any other time in the world. I mean, we, we, we had the Bible translated into English in the 16th century. Mm-hmm. And before that, they had no Bible. I mean, I've been to Greece and been to Rome, and I've seen the stained glass windows, and I've seen the visual art, and that's really how people would come to faith in Christ. You know, they would hear uh, the message, and then they would see the pictures. But today we have the Bible. Right. And yet we don't read the Bible. And, and we've got literacy. Yeah, and we're literate. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, wonderful book and a great conversation, Robbie. I wish you the best, and I hope we can talk again in the future. Thanks for having me, Al. God bless you, brother. The Forgotten Jesus by Robbie Galati. Fascinating, great book.